0: means to worship a God who is living a God who is alive it was actually Mother's Day and a young father by the name of Michael Miller had two children one was a a, about a two-year-old little girl just a toddler and a brand new baby boy three months old whose name was Matthew It was mother's day mother was actually working as a nurse at the hospital and so uh, michael decided to put the kids together in the car and deliver mom's mother's day gifts right to her there at the hospital just sort of drop in and leave so that's what they did they got the they got the toddler up and got the little baby in the carrier and mom a necklace which said world's greatest mom and a one single rose and he drove all the way to the hospital he had to get on i-290 to get there uh uh, winding through the traffic and then of course in the parking garage at the hospital uh, and uh, he got out it's kind of a big deal is again a pretty much a new father um, he got the little girl got the carrier just left the baby in the carrier and walked in the hospital Surprised mom she was really excited gave her the necklace hugs and kisses the rose she kissed the baby and it was over that was Mother's Day so Michael Uh, Took the little girl, the the toddler, back to the car. As he was buckling her in, he put the car seat on top of the car. And then he put the girl in, and then he got in the car and drove off. Now, he had no idea, and and he drove all the way through the parking garage. and, And he says he passed people, and nobody ever said anything. Nobody waved or nobody did anything. He left the parking garage and pulled out into traffic. And now he's winding through busy streets. And again, nobody honks the horn. Nobody says anything, but he is driving now at traffic speeds with the baby, the infant, in the car seat just sitting on top of the car, and somehow it rides. It, it rode all the way until he got to I-290, and then he got on the entrance ramp, and, and he got full speed. He was going 50 to 60 miles an hour before he heard something slide across the roof of his car. And when he looked up, he saw his baby. He saw that car seat flying off the roof of his car. Now, what kind of story is this I'm telling you? What kind of story is this? The the point is right now, you don't know. You have no idea because you don't know how it ends. It could be a tragedy. It could be a a joke. It it could be some sort of strange, twisted comedy. You have no idea because you don't know the end, and endings make all the difference. And the very same thing is is, is actually true for your life. And I would just simply say this, no matter how your life begins or no matter what happens in, in the middle, everything depends on the ending. So it's not just stories that we tell or, or news story that you could hear about a father with a baby. No, we're talking about the story of your life. And the same thing is true about your life. It all depends on the ending. And that's the thing about life. Right now, stuck in the middle of your life, you don't know how things turn out. You have no idea. You don't know yet if your life is going to turn out to be a tragedy. You don't know if it's going to—actually, some of you, it is a comedy. I'm telling you, you are a comedy. Some of you could be living a comedy or some sort of ridiculous riddle— there's just no way to tell unless you know how things turn out, unless you know the ending. So the question becomes today, is it possible to know the ending? Is it possible to know how your life is going to turn out? Can you possibly get some sort of a glimpse of where everything is headed? And the answer to your question is yes. On this day of all days, I'm telling you, if you believe, you can know how things turn out. You can know the ending even before you get to it if you know the story of Jesus. And that brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. 2 Corinthians is actually the second letter that Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the town of Corinth, and that's why it's called Corinthians. So he's writing to the very, very ancient Christians who lived in the city called Corinth, and he's trying to help them understand what has happened to them when they received Christ and now what it means that they live as believers in Christ. And this is the way he describes it. Second Corinthians chapter four, I'm going to start in verse five. Paul says, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. I love that. Verse 8, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That's why we never, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our eyes on things that can will last, say the word, forever, forever. Oh, that's so good. I guess I would say the, my favorite part about the house I live in after being there for like 15 years is, is one thing, it's a small thing. And when we built the house, I didn't understand how much I would fall in love with this very, very small thing. And it's not anything that you see every day. It's not the living room or the kitchen or the bedrooms or anything like that. It's, it's a single light bulb. It's a single light bulb that the electrician who wired our house in the first place installed under the house. And if you ever crawled under a house, yeah, n- n- yeah. Uh, Stephanie, awesome, you're the only woman, any other woman in the house been under a house? Yeah, awesome, yeah. Woodburn's an awesome place. Woodburn is amazing. It's a place where the men are men and the women are too, you know, it's just one of those places. It's good, yeah. Well, listen, ladies, you can come go under my house because I hate going under the house. I remember as a kid watching my dad go into the house, I'm thinking, boy, I'm so glad I'm not him. I mean, to, to disappear into that little dark hole and just, you know, who knows what lives under there. And, and honestly, if you've ever been under a house, everything lives under there. I know for a fact that I have a six-foot chicken snake that lives under my house year-round because I see him come out in the summer and then go back under there. I'm thinking, you know, buddy, you can have it. You can have the (laughs) hole under the house. I'll live upstairs. You live under the house, you know. But sometimes I do have to go under there. And at that moment, this is amazing, I have a light switch. He put a light, you, you, you disappear in the black hole, but then you just hit the switch and a light comes on. And then I can see the snakes. I want to see them, understand? I mean, if they're there, I want to see them and the rats and everything else. I just want to to see. There's something about knowing that I can see them. It, It helps me. I don't want to think that I'm in the dark. I don't want to think I'm under the house, you know, elbow to elbow with a six foot snake. I would just rather know that he's there. And when the light comes on, I can see him. He can see me and we're going to be good. It's the presence of the light that makes that difference. And when Paul talks about what happens when a person believes in Jesus, and when I say believe, I don't just mean believe in the sense of of yes, I know that Jesus, I know the Jesus thing. I'm not talking about believing the way that most people in the United States call themselves Christians. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about not, not simply believing in your mind or saying yes when somebody says something about Jesus. When we talk about believing in Jesus, we're talking about believing not just with your head, but with your life, you understand? And so Paul is trying to describe what it means to believe in Jesus with your whole life. And of all things, he says that it's something like what, you could say that when you believe in Jesus in this way, it's like God turns a light on in your heart, or you could say he ignites a fire. And literally, that's what Paul says. He says, we preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For the same God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts. So Paul says to believe in Jesus, to believe in such a way where, where, where your whole life becomes involved is something like saying that, that God ignites a fire in, in your heart, so a, a fire, a, a light is now inside of you. Now, literally what Paul is doing now is kind of making a comparison between your life and, and the sort of little oil lamp that was very common in the ancient world. Little bitty jars of clay, little clay lamps that would have been formed by hand, and you would put oil inside of them, and then a, just a single wick would come out, and you'd light the wick. These things would burn for for hours and hours. It was the only light that most people had, and these little lamps would cost a penny or less in every ancient market. So this is one of the most common things in the ancient world, and one of the most common everyday items that Paul could use. And this is what he says when when you come to know. Christ in this way, your life becomes like one of those little lamps, a a little jar of clay, a little clay lamp. In other words, the outside is nothing special, nothing special at all about me. I'm just the clay lamp formed by hand and every day, bought for a penny, you know, that sort of thing. But the treasure, the real treasure, is inside. And that treasure is the light of Christ that God has placed in me. You understand that the treasure is inside. That's why even on Easter, when we're all dressed up, just take a look down your pew, we don't look like much. Even all dressed up, we don't look like much. And you're saying, Brother Tim, speak for yourself, and I am. I'm speaking for myself. But there's not a lot about us outwardly that anybody would be impressed by. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. It's what's inside that counts. It's always what's inside that counts. So the truth of the matter is your life more or less without Christ is, is empty. You're, you're empty, waiting to be filled. And what you're supposed to be filled with is the light of Christ, the, the the very life of Christ. It's what's inside that counts. But if you don't know Christ in this way, if you've never learned to believe in him with your whole life, then, then you're still more or less empty. You understand? Waiting to be filled by him. It's, it's, it's the way... Paul described it, because it's what's inside that counts. Paul goes on to say that that God sort of, he does it this way. He puts the treasure inside of us. Outside, we look like nothing. Outwardly, Paul says, our bodies just waste away. And you know that's true. You know that's true. I just turned 50 years old. I'm dealing with it. And I'm getting used to the idea that that my body is dying. And and, and by dying, I mean very, very slowly, day by day. It's becoming crusted in cholesterol. That's what the doctor tells me. My body is crusted in cholesterol and, and every day becomes more covered with unwanted hair. This is just what happens. This is the dying process. You crust over with hair and cholesterol, then you die. This is what's happening on the outside. And if you look at me on the outside, you're just going to see this miracle of of death happen and, and, and enjoy that. But what I'm saying is, it's what's inside that counts. And Paul says, this is the mystery. This is the treasure of it all. That even though on the outside, this body is weak and this body is sick and this body dies and this body just gives way. Inside, day by day, God is doing something you can't see with your eyes. God is renewing me. God is preparing me. God is enabling me to live a life that will last forever. Do you understand? Things that you cannot see last forever. The things you do see, they are temporary. God does this so that people will know that this power that is in our lives, it comes from him and it does not come from us. I have no power, but I have a great power that comes from God in me, and I need that power. And you need that power too. Notice where Paul starts in verse 8. Paul really starts this whole process where he talks about trouble, and he talks about four kinds of trouble. By now, you've met all four kinds, especially if you've already been through middle school. Let's just start right here. Paul says, first, I'm pressed down, but what? not crushed. I'm pressed down, but not crushed. Pressed down, but not crushed. How many of you have ever drank a caffeine-free diet Mountain Dew? It is the manliest drink on the planet. This is what I drink. Caffeine-free diet Mountain Dew. I will finish one off, you know, sitting around the house, mowing the yard, whatever. Caffeine-free diet Mountain Dew. And when I'm finished with that can, what do I do? Crush it, yeah, you know, crush it, you know, just like that, you just crush it. I should have brought one so you could see me just crush it, just you know, like that. I can crush, I can crush an empty can. I can crush an empty can, and you can too. Any baby in the nursery can crush an empty can, but I'd love to see you crush a can that's full. You understand, because things that are full can't be crushed. So do you understand, I'm pressed down but not crushed. Why is it that my troubles never manage to crush me? Because I'm not empty. Do you understand, Christ fills me, therefore I can't be crushed. Now I can be pressed down and I feel that pressing down a lot of the days of my life and you'll be pressed down, but if you have Christ in you, you will not be crushed. Only empty things can be crushed. You understand that? I think that's absolutely amazing. Christ fills me. I cannot be crushed. I may be perplexed, but not driven to despair. What does this mean? The word perplexed, what does that mean? Confused. I have a lot of questions, a lot of things I don't understand, but I will not be driven to despair. What does despair mean? R- right, no hope. No hope. So even though I have a lot of questions, I may be perplexed and confused, I will never be without hope. Perplexed. I don't know how your brains work. I don't know how my brain works. All I know is from the very beginning, um, I've asked a lot of questions. I'm just a guy that has a lot of questions. I love science. I love to know how things work, and I want to know how the world works, and I want to know how everything works. Now, I was raised in church. A lot of you were, a lot of you weren't, but but I was raised in church, so I was always surrounded by people who believed and taught me to believe, And, and so in some ways, believing would come naturally for me, but, but in some ways believing has not come naturally for me, but because I continue sometimes to be perplexed by questions. I can remember as a kid on Easter being dragged to church, and, and our church always had a sunrise service, only we did it at sunrise, people, we were serious, and we did it outside, and you know, on Easter, it's always like a blizzard or, or it's cold. It's just usually a very, very cold, cold day. But my church was a tiny little church. there would be maybe 15 or 20 of us. We would stand out on this hill behind our church building and our preacher would stand there and shiver and, and, and read to us the Easter story. And, and we would watch the sun come up behind him. I just remember as a kid, those moments and, and not really understanding exactly why we were doing all of this, but knowing that it was important. I also felt obligated to, you know, to watch the sun come up, although that will burn the eyeballs right out of your head. You, you know about that? And so I would stare at the sun and my eyes would water and I'd look at the preacher and I couldn't see him because I was going blind and I would stare back at the sun and, and seriously, I can just remember... Looking at the sun, because they brought us out here, and I'm a child. and And if he's reading this story in in front of this sunrise, there must be something in the sunrise that makes this important. And I would stare at the sun and listen to the story. And and you know, I saw some beautiful sunrises as a child, and we saw a beautiful sunrise this morning. By the way, it was it was absolutely glorious in Kentucky, but. But whatever it is that my preacher was reading about, do you understand? I was never going to find it by looking at the sun or the sunrise or or anything else. I guess there were a lot of Easter's and a whole lot of Sundays in my life when when I kept coming back to church. Again, I was raised in a Christian family. I never really had any choice. On Sunday morning, we got in the car and we came. But it, it was sometime later, when, when that story that my preacher read, Easter after Easter after Easter, it, it stopped just sort of going over my head and, and, it, and it got inside of me. And that was important because in the years that would follow, I needed something not over my head but inside of me. I can remember high school. I can remember asking some very, very important questions. I can remember science class sometimes and just wondering if the God that we talked about at church was going to be big enough for everything I was learning in chemistry and physics. And sometimes I wasn't sure. And I can remember college. I can remember one day in particular really being sort of overwhelmed with doubts and and just sort of wondering, how in the world can I know if this is all true? How would I know if everything that, that my preacher and that little bitty Baptist church, how, how would those people even know? They don't know anything about physics. They don't know chemistry. How do I know if, if, if this is true? And, and honestly, sometimes I was nearly driven to despair. I really began to, to struggle with doubts. So the, the, the being perplexed was beginning to turn into something else. But but let me just tell you, and the only way I know how to tell you, what for me finally made it real was Jesus. Um, it, it had something to do with being on the hillside with, with my church, but it had more to do with every other day of my life because um, being raised in the country and just playing out in the fields and always by myself and riding my bike and, and all of that I just I never knew a moment when he wasn't out with me I don't know another way to say it and, and even even in those moments later when I doubted so strongly and just wondered, are you there? And and how do I know? Somehow, even in my doubt, I always took my doubts to him. My heart just prays. I don't mean beautiful prayers. I don't mean like in church. I I just mean, I just never, even in doubt, even even in suffering, I've always felt him alive. So even with all of the questions I could possibly ask, there's still th- th- this living God, this this present God in, in my life. And, and he is the-, the constant thing. Everything else has changed, but-, but he's always remained the same. He's always been there. And though I can't always understand him, I don't always serve him well. I, I-, I certainly can't explain it to you but all i can say is is often in my life i've been perplexed but never driven to despair at the bottom of everything there is just still god there is the the living jesus that i know is not dead because he lives he lives for me he lives in me i don't know another way to say it paul says that sometimes we'll be hunted down but not abandoned hunted down not abandoned do you ever feel hunted down, persecuted is the word there that Paul uses? Never abandoned. This is what I'm saying. In all of my life, I've spent a lot of time by myself, but I've never, ever been alone. I've always somehow known that that God was there and was listening and I could just talk. And and there's this running conversation in my head, in my heart all the time because I've never, ever been abandoned and never have you. This is what I'm trying to say. This is where the sermon leads. Never have you. I'm not telling you something that that, that makes me special. I'm just telling you what human experience is. We'll be pressed down, but never crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Hunted down, but never abandoned, never alone. Do do you understand? Paul's just talking about what life is like when you know Christ. When when the living Christ is living in you. When God lights that fire in your heart you're still going to know all kinds of trouble but you'll never ever be alone you'll never be abandoned you'll be knocked down he says but not destroyed science experiment check it out it's on youtube Uh, you can take a paper cup and hold it over a flame and what happens i mean y'all know right you know paper fire what happens yeah, it will burn. It will burn instantly. You, you take a paper cup and hold it over an open flame and it will burn instantly. But the very same paper cup, if you fill it with water and hold it over the flame, what happens? The water will boil. You can boil water over an open flame in a paper cup. Don't look at me like that. It's on YouTube, people. You can boil water in a paper cup over an open flame. How does that work? Is there something about the cup? No, no. It's nothing to do with the cup. Remember, paper burns, but that's something to do with what's inside. What's inside changes the properties of what's on the outside. You understand? It won't burn. And this is what Paul is saying, four kinds of trouble, you're going to be knocked down, but never destroyed, never destroyed. You may go through the fire, but you're not going to be destroyed if you have that treasure inside. This is what Paul is saying. We're talking about your life here, and notice why, notice why it works this way. We get knocked down, but not destroyed. Verse 10, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. Oh, okay. It's about the death of Jesus, and it is, It, it, it is. You saying Paul is saying that one way or the other, the story of your life, the story that you live, is going to be mirrored by the story of Jesus, and don't forget, he died. And don't forget, he didn't just die. He died a terrible death. It, it was a death of suffering. It was a death of blood. It was, it was the very most elaborate torture that the Roman Empire could, could come up with. Crucifixion was a brutal, brutal way to die. So don't forget that that Jesus' story more or less mirrors your story and his story had an awful death to it. And this is what Paul is saying. You're gonna live this out. Your life's going to look like that. You're gonna go through stuff. You're going to die. You're going to suffer. It's just what bodies do. They decay, they run down, they grow old. This is what happens Paul says. But understand, that's not the end. Remember that I said that everything points to the ending, and everything is determined by the ending, and you have to know the ending to know exactly what kind of story it is. So don't forget this. Through our suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will also be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this results in what? Eternal life. This is the Easter story, and this is why it matters, because Jesus' story doesn't end in death. Jesus' story doesn't end at the cross. Jesus' story does not end in betrayal. It doesn't end in denial. It doesn't end in defeat. Jesus' story does not end with his death. After his death, there was something else, and that something else is what we call Resurrection. So you understand, God is the God who can bring light out of darkness, and ultimately, God is the God who brings life out of death. He brings the dead back to life. God is the God who speaks out to His Son, Arise, my love, and the grave splits wide open. So do you understand that when you know how the story ends, when you know that the story ends in triumph, it changes the way you see Jesus's life, but it will change the way you see your life. How does it end? So Michael Miller put his toddler's little girl in the back seat and he put that carrier up on top of that car parking structure of the hospital and somehow driving out of that structure that that car seat just rode and the baby stayed on top of the car michael had no idea 27 year old father pulled out onto the streets and just started going at full traffic speed he stopped at lights he turned and and, and that car seat rode and nobody nobody honked the horn nobody waved michael says nobody said a word He pulled out onto I-290. He started going full speed. He he approached speeds of 50 and 60 miles an hour before he heard something slide on top of his car. And he looked up, and that car seat with his baby went off the car. The only other witness was the man who was behind him on the interstate. He was a 67-year-old antiques dealer. He said that when he saw it fly, first he thought somebody had just thrown trash out the car window because this car seat just went up in the air. And then he said he saw the car seat flip around and, and he saw the baby in it and he thought somebody's thrown out a doll. It must be a doll. But then he saw the mouth open. As the baby was crying, he saw the mouth opening. and he knew that's, that's a baby. It's a baby. And all of this happened in a second. And, and then this is what, the old man said behind the car, he said that car seat did flips in the air. It was traveling at 60 miles an hour. It landed in the road, and it landed, you know, baby side up. It landed, and then it slid right down the yellow line. It slid toward him. It slid in the path of oncoming traffic. It just slid, and then it just stopped. So he got out, parked his car. He got out. He picked up the baby. The baby was fine. The baby was fine. You know what else? That car seat was fine. Picked up the baby in the car seat and handed them back to the father, who was not fine. (laughs) You understand? So it ends well. It, It ends well. This is what I'm telling you, you know that it ends well and it changes the way you see everything along the way. Right now, you're in the middle of your life and, and you feel like you don't know how things will turn out. I'm here to tell you on this day of all days, because of Easter, we know how everything turns out we know that our lives mirror the life of jesus we know that he has lived our story of death and suffering and four kinds of trouble jesus lived our story so that we can live his story of new life and resurrection and hope so that means whatever it is you're going through whatever it is one day that finishes you off you understand it won't be the end It will not determine the kind of story, the kind of life that you live. That, my friends, is all going to be determined by the end of it all. So I guess the question that you need to ask today is, uh, do you believe this story? The story of Jesus? Are you like me all of those years Standing there with my eyes watering Staring into the sun Listening to the preacher go on and on about resurrection It was going over my head But never into my heart Are are you like that? Because until Jesus gets into your heart You're still empty and, And that means life can still crush you And that means that the end for you may not be well It's when That story of Jesus becomes your very own story that you know that all shall be well. Life comes after death and hope comes even in the midst of sorrow and trouble when you believe. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, there's no doubt about it, the people in this house today have gone through four kinds of trouble and more. Lord, lots of us know exactly what it is to be pressed down. Some of us, Lord, have even known the crushing because we know that, Lord, we still are empty. Lord, we know the story of Easter. We know that this is about Jesus and not the Easter bunny, but, Lord, still somehow it's never been real to us, so real that it seemed to last into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and every other day, Lord. Somehow this story sort of comes and and, and fades and, and brightens and fades and it never really seems to take over our lives. Lord Jesus, help us to know that today is not about church and it's not about hearing a story even. It's about a a Jesus who did die but did rise again. It is about a God who lives and a God who has power and a God who longs to reach down into the darkness of our hearts and set a fire there. So God, today, will you set our hearts on fire with this story? Will you set our hearts ablaze with the presence of the living Jesus? And Lord, I pray that everyone who can hear my voice will know that presence, Lord, that power that comes and never leaves. Lord, we will be pressed down, but never abandoned. We'll be perplexed, but never without hope. Lord Jesus, I pray that all of those in this house today, will find a light shining from deep inside their hearts that nothing in this world can extinguish. Let the fire of your light burn in us, O Jesus, and burn in such a way where others will see you living in us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and because he listens.